Another shocking headline today, New York Times kills journalism, then self. In a brutal murder-suicide, the New York Times blew the brains out of American journalism last week, then turned its weapon on itself. Although journalism was found dead at the scene, the Times lingered on life support, but after examining the op-ed page, doctors agreed that all mental activity had ceased. According to those closest to the Times, the newspaper had been growing increasingly delusional in recent years. One Times reader, who asked not to be named for fear someone might find out he had been a Times reader, said, quote, the newspaper's idea of how the world worked was utterly fantastical, and its denial of the way things actually are sent it into a destructive cycle of self-deception and hysteria, which the Times called news. The Times' mental degeneration seemed to reach a crisis after the horrific mass killings in Orlando when a gay Muslim Democrat murdered 50 gay people. It was a perfect storm of incomprehensible truth, said one former friend of the Times, and it simply pushed the paper over the edge. Witnesses say the Times began raving after the incident. As one former Times employee put it, quote, the shooter was a Democrat, so they blamed Republicans. The shooter was a Muslim, so they blamed Christians. The shooter was apparently gay, so they blamed homophobia. They just weren't making any sense, unquote. The former employee who asked to remain anonymous for fear someone might find out he'd been a former employee went on to say that the Times became increasingly distraught when it realized no one believed its delusional mutterings anymore. Even their fantasies began to degenerate into meaningless generalities that had nothing to do with anything, the former employee said. They just paced around the office muttering, it's the fault of America, it's the fault of guns, it's guns, it's America, it's America, it's guns. The less people took them seriously, the crazier they became. In a rambling suicide note sent to real journalists, the New York Times said, quote, after we commit this atrocity, we hope people will finally come to realize that the fault lies with cisgender males, none of whom have worked here for 15 years, and of course with fundamentalist Christians whom we here exist but have never met. Shocked survivors of the murder-suicide, including columnists David Brooks, Charles Blow, and Paul Krugman, issued a statement to reporters saying, quote, In spite of this tragedy, we hope to continue to produce the same level of commentary we've produced all these years, and will therefore walk on our hands naked through Herald Square with banners coming out of our butts with nonsense words written on them in a made-up language. That ought to do it, unquote. In one bright note, lawmen on the scene did manage to rescue a hostage. Officials say he had been badly mistreated by the Times, but will survive. His name is Reality. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> a little bit on the edge there, folks, but <laughs> I, just thought, <laughs> I just thought it was too appropriate to let it go by. All right, the Clavenless weekend is over. It's over finally. And I, it ended with the NBA, watching the NBA Finals and Game of Thrones, and I'm like a nervous wreck, the two shows put together. <laughs> you, know, you know, I was thinking last night, people, people always tease me because they say I'm finding the, the good side in, in too many things. But I was thinking last night, you know, the, the Roman uh, satirical poet Juvenal famously said after the Roman Republic collapsed, he famously said that the Roman people had given up their freedom in return for bread and circuses, meaning welfare and entertainment. 
<clears throat> I was thinking, yeah, but the circuses are great, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, or entertainment, <laughs> totally worth the freedom. Yeah, it's like, so so what? The country's collapsing. This is great. All right, so I said last week that we would start filming live today. We are not. I was lied to. I was lied to, and then I lied to you. Anyway, we'll get to it eventually. We're still working, <laughs> still working on the systems. But I, just so you know, if you do, if you subscribe, if you subscribe, you can watch. It costs like $8 a month. It's free for 30 days, then $8 a month. And just, if you haven't seen the show before, just to explain, we're, we're here in the Valley in L.A., which is one of the hottest places uh, on Earth, and it's one of the hottest days on Earth today. So today, as I'm coming into work, I saw people trying to escape into hell. There were people <laughs> trying to, like, get me, where's the bus from the Valley into hell? So if, during the show, we have to turn off the air conditioning while I speak, so we I don't get drowned out. If during the show I should stop talking for a period of time, it's because I'm dead. So <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry about it. Everyone dies. It's just a, it's a natural thing. It just happens to happen on camera. All right. So much is happening. I'm not sure I can get all this into one show, but I, I have to tell you, I have frequently half joked that this is the place where the future comes to announce itself. But it, it's not a brag. I mean, we have talked about things here, and people say, "Well, that's not the news. That's not not the news of the day." And then, like in six weeks. It's the news of the day. I think this is going to happen today because I see something going on. People aren't really talking about this, but it is really strange. The news that was breaking as I came in, which is kind of part of this, is that Donald Trump has dumped Corey Lewandowski, as his, who was his campaign manager. So this, this puts Shapiro in a terrible position because everyone was yelling. Shapiro was saying, this guy's terrible. You should get rid of him. And everyone was saying, no, he's great, and Trump is loyal. Trump is loyal. So now it's like Shapiro was right about everything, so everybody's going to be screaming at him. <laughs> it's like, you lousy Jew. You were right about everything. I hate you. You know, it's like, it's just, No matter what he does, it's like he gets, the, he gets the fire. So this is just happening, so I'm not going to comment on it too much, but it is part of this sense that something is very, very wrong in the Trump campaign, that it has failed to make the transition from dealing with crazy semi-Republicans who never voted before and winning 40% of that vote, and then dealing with the entire country, some of whom, you know, there's, some of these people are sane, you know. <laughs> he's, he's never dealt with that before. So, you know, he's, he's, had to, he's had to readjust. And this is a big readjustment to get rid of uh, Corey, who was really his trusted aide. So we'll talk about it more tomorrow when we get more information, because it's just happening. But already, on the Republican side, there has been this rumbling, this steady rumbling, that they're going to tr try and dump him at the convention. Now, it seems impossible to me. It seems just it would cause an absolute riot. But the idea is that, remember, the rules to the convention are made like a week before, and they're made by delegates, many of whom were chosen by Ted Cruz, okay? So like a lot of these delegates who are on the committee that makes the rules are not Trump's delegates because he had no ground game. So he wasn't doing the kind of, you know, clever inter-political stuff that Ted Cruz was doing. So what they're talking about is establishing a conscience clause where if you just look at Donald Trump and think, uh, no. <laughs> Thank you for your votes, people, but no. You know, then you can get out of it. Now, that's a, the problem there is that some of these people are bound by state law to vote for the people that they, which would mean litigation, and Trump would go insane and all this stuff. But they asked Paul Ryan, but you know, he's, remember, he's the chairman of the whole thing. They asked Paul Ryan where he stands on this, and this is his response. My place, as, as because of, again, this role I have, which I feel has very important responsibilities, is to call balls and strikes and just play it by the rules. 
So it is not my job to tell delegates what to do, what not to do, or to weigh in on things like that. They write the rules, they make their decisions. All I want to make sure is it's done above board, clearly, honestly, and by the rules. So I see my role now, given that he's got the plurality, he actually won, is pretty much a ceremonial position. But the last thing I'm going to do is weigh in and tell delegates what to do, how to do this. All right, but I guess, so if they decide to change the rules, and that's, which is they can do, you're comfortable with however they you're change the rules. You're asking the wrong person. You should ask the party. You should ask Reince Priebus. You should ask the delegates. Uh, I think the Rules Committee meets the week before. Right. Like but, which, so, but if you have an opinion uh, on this, it no, matters to them. My opinion is not relevant here. I'm not going to tell the delegates how they should do their jobs <laughs> because I am chair of the convention. I, did, I didn't see a thing, officer. I was, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy on a street corner. <laughs> when an insider like Paul Ryan says, I have nothing to do with it, you can bet like he's pulling every string he can think of. And, you know, Ryan is, I, I really feel for Paul Ryan. He's in this terrible position. He's the top of the party, really. He's the, you know, uh, leader, leader of the party. He can't just dump Trump if he's going to be the nominee. He cannot do it. You know, you can say, well, he should have principle, but part of his principle is saving his party, you know. So like he's got to do, but at the same time, Trump, the thing is, it's not just how offbeat Trump is, how weird and how the, you know, these things come out of his mouth and the bullying and all that stuff that we've talked about. This is a remarkable moment. And you know, it's a remarkable moment by the fact that it is nowhere being covered in the press. The Obama administration is unraveling and the left is using this powerful, powerful communication tools that it has taken over while we sat around worrying about budget deficits and, you know, whether or not the Constitution was in play. They were just simply taking over the means of communication. The news agencies, they are all left-wing. Every single network is left-wing. Every single face, you know, Google, I, I am absolutely convinced Google is arranging searches so that whatever you search for comes out on the liberal side first. You know, if you go down five pages, you get to the truth. But before that, Google is arranging its searches. Facebook, we know, you know, Twitter, all of them. Twitter is throwing conservatives off left and right, and they, you know, they throw them off, they bring them back on, and all this stuff. The means of communication, of getting information out, are all in the hands of the left, and they are using them hysterically because the Obama administration is falling apart. And this Orlando thing is part of it, but also part of it is, is what's happening overseas, which is connected to the Orlando thing. So last week, shockingly, the uh, CIA, the direct, CIA director, John Brennan, goes before Congress, and he basically says, now, there's been some good news in the Middle East. Uh, the Iraqi forces have taken back Fallujah, <clears throat> which is, is kind of embarrassing because the Marines took Fallujah in two of the greatest battles in Marine history. I mean, these are battles that are part of now the song and story of the Marines. Obama let it go, and so they but they took it back, and they're moving on to Mosul. So there's some good news, but here is the CIA director, John Brennan, telling Congress, don't mean a thing as far as ISIS is concerned. Unfortunately, despite all our progress against ISIL on the battlefield and in the financial realm, our efforts have not reduced the group's terrorism capability and global reach. The resources needed for terrorism are very modest, and the group would have to suffer even heavier losses on territory, manpower, and money for its terrorist capacity to decline significantly. Moreover, the group's foreign branches and global networks can help preserve its capacity for terrorism regardless of events in Iraq and Syria. In fact, as the pressure mounts on ISIL, we judge that it will intensify its global terror campaign to maintain its dominance of the global terrorism agenda. 
Since at least 2014, ISIL has been working to build an apparatus to direct and inspire attacks against its foreign enemies, resulting in hundreds of casualties. The most prominent examples are the attacks in Paris and Brussels, which we assess were directed by ISIL's leadership. We judge that ISIL is training and attempting to deploy operatives for further attacks. ISIL has a large cadre of Western fighters who could potentially serve as operatives for attacks in the West. And the group is probably exploring a variety of means for infiltrating operatives into the West, including in refugee flows, smuggling routes, and legitimate methods of travel. Furthermore, as we have seen in Orlando, San Bernardino, and elsewhere, ISIL is attempting to inspire attacks by sympathizers who have no direct links to the group. All right. So how many parts of the Obama narrative were just exploded there by his CIA director? First of all, they're bringing people in <coughs> in refugee flows, and Obama's telling us, let them in, open the gates. You know, it's, that's, that's who we are. You know, we have, to be, we have to be welcoming. We have to let all these people in. And every time, every time Trump says no, we don't. The press goes mad. You know, oh, my God, what a bigot, what a racist. You know, but they're telling you they're sending terrorists in refugee flows. But even more importantly... They said that ISIS was developing the means to direct and inspire people who are not immediately connected with them. So this whole narrative of the lone wolf, oh, Orlando, <clears throat> you know, another lone wolf attack. There are no lone wolves. There are no lone wolves. These guys have an ideology, and ideology is a form of mind control. It can be mind control for the good, or it can be mind control for the bad. But the point is their narrative is falling apart. Listen. This is unbelievable. As I'm coming in, they're releasing, as I'm coming into work, they're releasing the transcripts of some of the things this Orlando shooter said to the press and the police over the phone as he's murdering people ruthlessly, okay? And Loretta Lynch says we're going to release some of these transcripts, but certain parts are going to be redacted. Actually, though, what we're announcing tomorrow is that the FBI is releasing a partial transcript of the killer's calls with law enforcement from inside the club. These are the calls with the Orlando PD negotiating team who were trying to ascertain who he was, where he was, why he was doing this, all the while the rescue operations were continuing. That'll be coming out tomorrow, and I'll be headed to Orlando on Tuesday. Including the hostage negotiation part of this? Uh, yes, it will be primarily his a, a partial transcript of his calls with the hostage negotiators. You say partial. What's being left out? Well, what we're not going to do is further proclaim this individual's pledges of allegiance to terrorist groups and further his propaganda. So we're not going to hear him talk about those things? We will hear him talk about some of those things, but we're not going to hear him make his assertions of allegiance in that. This will not be audio. This will be a printed transcript but it will begin to capture the back and forth between him and the negotiators. We're trying to get as much information about this investigation out as possible. As you know, because the killer is dead, we have a bit more leeway there, and so we will be producing that information tomorrow. This is most, the most blandly sinister. I keep calling her blandly sinister. I think that should be her name, blandly sinister. You know, U.S. Attorney General, blandly sinister. She's always explaining in this, like, you know, nursery school voice why she's going to lie to the American public. So they're releasing this thing, but they're not going to let him say that he's doing this in loyalty to ISIS. You know, it reminded me of like a joke video I did a while back where I just left out the word Muslim to see if you could guess what word I was leaving out. You know, it's blank terrorism. You know, it's like another another guy loyal to blank has been, you know, so they're going to leave this out because they, they've got this narrative of the lone wolf. I mean, everything they do is narrative now. Every single thing. Barack Obama is running a race with history. 
the journalists have protected him, and it's not the street journalists. They want to report the story. It's the it's the administration who won't let their story get on the air. They've canceled. They've erased all his scandals. They've erased all his mistakes. They've erased all the, you know, and it's just a constant drumbeat of how evil Trump is, how evil Republicans are. Nothing about the fact this utter utter incompetence and mistakes that he's made. He's running a race with history because he knows, somewhere deep down, this guy knows he has blown this presidency big time. And no matter what the press reports today, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the line, historians are going to say, whoa, this sucked. This was a terrible presidency. And he knows it. And it's eating him alive, I swear. You know, he won't even say the word ISIS. He's like the only person. You heard Brennan call it ISIL. <clears throat> because ISIS means the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Okay, and that those are the two places where he has made his biggest mistakes, Iraq and Syria. Let's let's just just quickly go back over some of this stuff. You know, Bush went into Iraq, they made terrible mistakes. They they debathified the government. They threw out all of Hussein's people out of the military and out of the civil service. So now these guys were wandering around ticked off. So Al-Qaeda is in there fighting us, and they said to these Ba'athists who were not Islamic extremists, they said to them, join us and become al-Qaeda in Iraq. And the Times wouldn't even say those words, wouldn't even write, the New York Times wouldn't even write those words, al-Qaeda in Iraq. So they, they formed, the Ba'athists helped form this al-Qaeda in Iraq to become this terrorist group, which very nearly drove this, the country to civil war. The surge takes place. Now the left is selling this, this narrative that the surge didn't do anything. It was really just the Sunnis who suddenly said, oh, we'll cooperate. Like 30,000 American troops didn't have anything to do with their cooperation. You know, they didn't look out the window and think, hmm, I think I'll cooperate now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was the surge. It quieted things down. They could see that al-Qaeda was losing, that it was no fun and all this stuff. When, when Obama pulled them out, when Obama pulled us out of Iraq, all these fighters were left. And when Syria devolved into civil war and Obama did nothing, they all went in there. And that's how ISIS was formed. They changed their name. Al-Qaeda in Iraq changed its name to ISIS. And they started to take over territory. And that gave them this amazing uh, cred with all these young men looking for a cause, looking to be to be uh, somebody important in the world, looking to have something to live for and die for. Suddenly, there was a, an Islamic state in Iraq, this territory. So yes, we've been taking back some of that territory. But as we take back that territory, ISIS moves back to sort of traditional terrorist methods. And they have all these recruits and all this cred that they're using. So now, this amazing, <laughs> this amazing thing happens. 50, I think it was 51, State Department officials send out a memo basically pleading with Obama to get involved in Syria. This is the place where Obama said, well, you know, we'll, we'll get involved if there's poison gas. That'll be a red line. Play that first, that first tape of... Uh, I have, yeah. uh, at this point, not ordered military uh, engagement in the situation, but the point that you made about uh, chemical and biological weapons is critical. Uh, that's an issue that doesn't just concern Syria, it concerns our close allies in the region, including Israel. Uh, it concerns us. Uh, we cannot have a situation where chemical or biological weapons are falling into the hands of the wrong people. Uh, we have been very clear to the Assad regime, but also to other players on the ground that a red line for us is we start seeing a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. So then 
it comes out that they're using chemical weapons, and Obama goes and, and tries to get international support for a bombing raid on these guys. And somebody says, well, you know, you said if there was a red line, that's going to change everything. That, this is his response a year later. First of all, I didn't set a red line. The world set a red line. The world set a red line when governments representing 98% of the world's population said uh, the use of chemical weapons are abhorrent and passed a treaty forbidding their use even when countries are engaged in war. Congress set a red line when it ratified that treaty. Congress set a red line uh, when it indicated that uh, in a uh, piece of uh, legislation titled the Syria Accountability Act that uh, some of the horrendous things that are happening on the ground there uh, need to be answered for. Uh, and so when I said in a press conference that my calculus about what's happening in Syria would be altered by the use of chemical weapons, which the overwhelming uh, consensus of humanity says is wrong. Um, that wasn't something I just kind of made up. Okay. So, so yeah, I, you know, it reminds me of uh, John Belushi. You know, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. So just to recap for a minute, okay, he abandons Iraq. The fighters in Iraq who take all the weapons that we had given to the army there, by the way, they took th those, those al-Qaeda fighters took all the weapons that we had given to the army and they go in. He abandons Iraq. That lets ISIS grow there. He doesn't do anything in Syria and ISIS spreads. And now more than 50 State Department officials. They have this thing in, in uh, the State Department. It's called, I think it's called the Descent Channel. Yes, the Descent Channel. And they made it during Vietnam. So that's, you know, these State Department guys, they're very brilliant guys. They're top, you know, they're top of their class, Ivy League guys. They're diplomats. But they're not part, they're part of the administration, but they're also kind of, this is their career. They're in there. So they, during Vietnam, when everybody was saying, like, don't go into Vietnam, they wanted the State Department to have a place where they could sort of is CYA a little bit. They could put in uh, letters saying, well, I don't agree with what we're doing in Vietnam. More than 50 of them sent into this channel and basically released to the press these notes saying, please, please, you've got to do something in Syria because when we go in there and make demands, there's no gunboat enforcing our demands. They know we're not going to do anything and Obama will not move. Here's the Wall Street Journal on what this means, okay? Syria's chaos has incubated the rise of, of Islamic State set America against its traditional allies, sent refugees pouring into Europe. So right, part of this, this whole thing where these refugees are pouring into Europe and the women are getting raped and, and people, you know, now Britain wants to leave uh, the EU partly because of all these immigrants. All that is coming out of Syria. Also, Syria invited the Russians back into the region. Putin has been backing Assad in Syria, so he's gotten his power in there. Fed, the, it has fed Iran's influence in a nervous Arab world. Iran's influence has spread instability across the region. But Mr. Obama carries on with business as usual. And why should anyone expect anything different? This is the president who stayed silent in 2009 when Iranians took to the street to demand their freedom, who ignored his generals when he withdrew too quickly from Iraq and Afghanistan, who in 2012 rejected the call from his CIA director Petraeus, his defense secretary Leon Panetta, and his secretary of state Hillary Clinton to arm moderate Syrian rebels, now add the diplomatic rank and file to the list of those 
He ignores. I mean, he is just not paying attention because he's so afraid of becoming George W. Bush. You know, he's so afraid of this quagmire, the Vietnam syndrome, that he's doing nothing. And, you know, look, most of us, the most important decisions we make in our lives have to do with our children, with raising our children. And we all know that sometimes you got to act, sometimes you got to not act. Sometimes you let a kid make a mistake and fall on his face. Sometimes you got to keep him from falling out the window because he's going to die as five, three stories down. You know, you, you have to make those decisions. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to do anything because George W. Bush didn't. Uh, did too much. It's making the call each time. Look, I'm not saying that George W. Bush has no uh, takes no credit for this disaster in the Middle East. He made mistakes. But every president, every single president has to play the cards he's dealt, just like the rest of us. We all have to play the cards we are dealt. And he has failed utterly. And it's and it's all around the world. The immigration problem, the, the problem of refugees flowing in, the terrorism problem, the Orlando shooter, you know, being inspired by ISIS and suddenly it's all this stuff he's done. This administration is unraveling. Its foreign policy has been a mistake in, at every step of the way. In Venezuela, and you're going to say, I, I don't want to sound like Glenn Beck, like everything in the world is No offense to Glenn, but I don't want to sound like everything in the world is connected. But listen, in Venezuela, they're having food riots. Okay, they're having food riots in one of the richest, what was one of the richest countries on earth, one of the most abundant countries on earth with all this oil because of socialism, because Hugo Chavez, and we still, I'm, I'm waiting, we have the phone lines are open for Danny Glover and Sean Penn to call in with their apologies for supporting all these Hollywood clowns who went out and supported this guy, this, this absolute moron, who thrilled to hear him call George W. Bush a devil. You know, oh, what a devil George W. Bush was. He destroyed this country. Well, why does that come into this? Because Iran is moving into South America very, very aggressively. It is, and it has been welcomed into uh, Venezuela. It's been welcomed into everywhere where there's a strong man. In Argentina, they, well, look, I, I can't say this for sure. The, the prosecutor in Argentina was prosecuting an act of terrorism against the Jewish center in Buenos Aires. And he was going to, he felt that he had proved that Iran was involved. He was going to go to the UN and say, look, you've got to keep sanctions in place because these guys are spreading terrorism through the world. He was killed. The, the prosecutor was killed. They still haven't proven it was murder. They still haven't found out anything about it. But we know Iran is moving aggressively into South America. And if you want to look at a map, they call it South America because it's just south of us. That's why they call it South America. It's part of our continent when Iran is in there. So Obama, remember, Obama's making deals with them. So he screwed up Iraq. He screwed up Syria. He has screwed up Iran. He has legitimized them and taken the sanctions off them. And, you know, this stuff is all unraveling while the left in the New York Times, in the uh, you know, network news, CNN, all they're doing is screaming about Donald Trump. Let's listen to what Donald Trump is saying. Let's listen to what Trump said uh, over the weekend about our immigration problems and the Muslims. Uh, everybody wants to be so politically correct and they want to you know, do what's right and they're afraid to do anything. And the word that's, words that are killing us, political correctness, but when you talk, unfortunately it wasn't followed up. When you talk about political correctness, should a Muslim buying ammunition and weapons get extra scrutiny? Uh, I don't know about that. I think uh, right now we have some pretty big problems, and uh, they're problems coming out of radical 
Islamic, you know, the radical Islamic uh, groups. Uh, you have a very, very strong group of people that is radical Islamic, and that seems to be a problem. Well, I think profiling is something that we're going to have to start thinking about as a country, and other countries do it. And you look at Israel, and you look at others, and they do it, and they do it successfully. And, you know, I hate the concept of profiling. But we have to start using common sense, and we have to use, you know, we have to use our heads. You know, I just want to end with one thing. There's so much to talk about. I can't get everything in today. You know, Trump, look, Trump says a lot of crazy things, but what he's talking about is not crazy. He is trying to point out the fact that we are fighting an ideology. We're not just fighting an army. An ideology can spread through the airwaves. It can spread through the Internet. It can spread anyway. You can kill as many of their soldiers as you want. If you don't stop the ideology, you ain't stopping nothing. They're just going to generate more. I just want to finish by playing something that the Washington Free Beacon put together. This is all the times that Obama has told us why we should do what he tells us to do. Roll it. That's why we must leave these methods where they belong, in the past. They are not who we are, and they are not America. But as Americans, that's not who we are. That's not who we are. That's not what we're about. No, that's not who we are. 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 And not who we are. That's 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 not who we are. No, that's not who we are. 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 It is not who we are. That's 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 not who we are as a country. That's not who we are as a country. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. That's not right. That's not who we are. It's not right. It's not who we are. That's not right. It's not who we are. That's not right. It's not who we are. And that's not right. That's not who we are. It's also not who we are as Americans. That's not who we are. We are better than that. What who what does he think made us who we are? What does he think made us who we are? What is a guy whose father was from Kenya, think, makes him like me, whose grandfather was from Eastern Europe. It's our creed. It's our beliefs. It's our belief system. It is a Christian belief system. Now, I'm not saying it's Christianity as a religious belief. I'm saying it is cultural Christianity. There is not a single idea that we hold fast to that is not that does not somehow originate in the Gospels. And the Gospels were a vehicle for carrying Judaic thought and classical Greek and Roman thought through the Middle Ages into the modern world. It was like a reliquary, and inside it were all the thoughts of the West, and that made us who we are. Well, if it made us who we are, what does he think makes them who they are? Why does he think that they're only reacting to us? They're not. They have an ideology of their own. They have a thought process of their own. He has failed at every stage, Iraq, Syria, Iran, because he doesn't know who he's fighting. He doesn't know what he's up against. And when I say that the narrative is, has become hysterical on the left, their powerful, powerful narrative machine is, is working overtime, it's because this is unraveling and it is becoming clear that their opposition to America, their opposition to Christianity, their opposition to Western thought has come a cropper. It has come become a disaster, and everything they believe is exposed. And the reason people are getting nervous about Donald Trump is they don't think he has the capability to take advantage of it. We'll talk more about what's happening with Trump tomorrow. Now on to stuff I like. I finished Uncharted 4 over the weekend. This, uh, 
uh, Naughty Dog video game, a classic. It's a classic video game, an adventure story that just makes perfect sense. They strung together some of the cutscenes. The cutscenes are the video scenes that come in between the gameplay, and it makes a perfect movie. It's a really wonderful story. It had that rare thing. There's something that happens to me when I'm watching a good story, when I realize what the story is about that I get this kind of thrill. Like when I was watching Die Hard, if you remember Die Hard, and I thought, oh, I get it. This lone cop is stuck in this building filled with terrorists. Cool, that's a great idea. Lethal weapon, when you suddenly realize, oh, I get it, this guy is so crazy that he's a lethal weapon. There's a moment in this when you realize, wow, this is a good story. And most of it is jumping around, shooting. It's a video game. It's simple, but they kept it simple. It's an intelligent game. I wish I could talk more about it. I wish I could talk more about the way stories work and the way video games work, and the way the, those two are, are in tension and don't quite jar, and the way sometimes they solve the problem. Uncharted 4, classic story. I will try and talk more about video games tomorrow. I'll come up with another video game that I like, and we'll talk more about it. But for now, we're out of time. So much stuff to talk about. We'll be here all week through Thursday, and we'll talk about it all. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Don't go away. Come back. <laughs>